Women's college basketball was the story of the sports world last night. You had the NBA having their last game before All-Star break. Grizzlies with a nice win. Shout out to Gigi Jackson. Guy looks good. Grizzlies look good. They got a steal there between him and Vince Williams. They got they got a couple good wings. Is Vince Williams a rookie too? Uh, I don't think he's a rookie. I think he's I think he's older, but I think this is his first like real time as a contributor. But he had three games there. Now they're at the All Star break. Nothing too intriguing last night except Doc Rivers calling out his guys after the after the game, saying I had half my team here and the other half was already in Cabo mentally. So that that's going well for Doc Rivers <laughs> as he's taken over Milwaukee. It was all women's college basketball last night. Caitlin Clark sets the all-time scoring record, absolutely goes off, comes out with her own personal little 8-0 burst to break the record. She did it in style with a logo of three, and then she did it in style. Bobby told me she ended up with how many points at the end of the game? She ended up with 49 points, and she was responsible or contributed to 79 of their points. She had like 15 assists as well. I saw the 8-0 run to start the game. I saw the logo three, and then I turned it off, and then I saw that they ended up with 100, 106 points. So I assume she went off. Yeah. Yeah, we were just talking about it in the break. Her shot, you know, we've all seen it by now, but it's it's incredible. Like, there were so many threes. She hit, like, nine threes last night, and most of them, they were shown on ESPN because um, they strung them together. They barely touched the net. I mean, it just – it's like – one of the, she is she is absolutely like a, an analog to Steph Curry for the women's game. I think just the, the shooting ability is incredible. Yeah, except she's a bigger star than Steph Curry. She's a bigger star than Steph Curry. I mean, I, as a degenerate gambler, especially like in high school and just kind of keeping up with that. Like I feel like I kind of discovered Steph Curry way before my other friends did. Not not like the first people country to discover but like yeah i was aware of davidson basketball like his sophomore year and like watched some of those games and that was when i was a college basketball junkie like I, you know I, I watched a lot of it and then like steph curry like as far as the mainstream it didn't really go into like halfway through his junior year where really people started paying attention to him right and then of course the tournament run davidson the tournament run was great taking them to elite eight of course but like he wasn't must see tv caitlin clark plays the way steph curry plays but she does it at a high level in front of a lot of people and, like, is the main attraction. She yeah. does it with pressure on her. Well, we've talked about this before, but it bears stating again. You know, I said 15 assists. Her passing is almost more impressive than her shooting to me. She, I said there's an analog to Steph Curry, I guess, from a shooting standpoint. She might be the women's game's Larry Bird, you know, I mean, in terms of just complete game, all the other things she does. Because um, she's got a tremendous handle besides just being able to shoot the ball well now she is the all-time leading scorer in women's basketball history passes kelsey plum now she is on pace to pass the all-time scoring record of pete maravich she just needs four more games at her pace of 32.7 points per game as i believe she's just like a hundred and i think was 112 point shy or something? I, I don't know the exact math. Three six three six six seven three five six nine. Either way, she's like 100 points away. 112 somewhere on there. 108. Looks like she could do it maybe on Senior Day. Is what they're saying March 2nd. So like, it was cool to see her do it at home. I told you, Sam. You know, a couple weeks ago when we talked about it, 
I thought she would break the record in a performance like this where she completely goes off. I thought we might get that at Nebraska last weekend because, I mean, she would have needed 39 points. I thought she was going to get it. But I knew like she would do it in style and do something crazy with it. She hits a logo three and then goes on to score 49 points. So she kind of did do what I said. It just took one game longer than I thought. You know, what's interesting, too, is last night they were, after the game, the fans were, you know, they were celebrating still and they were chanting one more year because I guess she qualifies to play Don't another. Do it. I, that's what I thought, too. Do I was like, they, they, she shouldn't really. It's I, I bet you she, she won't, actually. She was just kind of smiling and, you know, waving to the crowd. It wasn't like she you – know, I, I, I can't picture it happening. It, it would taint the records for me if she did five years just because it's not fair. I mean, I, I wanted to break the records in four years. Yeah. But also, like, then putting it out of reach. I don't, I don't like that because whenever we go back to normal, like, this is the last bit of the COVID years, right? Like, I think these people are the last – Right. Like, her, this, people who are seniors now, I think, are the last group that can have one more year. So, like, I hope that she doesn't do that because, yeah, then it would just put the record out of reach all time because no one else is going to have five years. So, I hope she doesn't do that. Women's college basketball is bigger than the WNBA right now, but, like, I still think she could make more money if she was willing to go play overseas as well. She would be a huge attraction there. So, like, yeah, she's an NIL legend probably. I mean, she probably makes a lot of money in NIL. I know she donates a lot back to local charities too. At least that's what they said last year during the tournament. Yeah. Was that she did a lot of local deals for for free basically to to help give back, but she's a total pro already like the way she handled her interviews last night and everything else. I mean, she is really a flashpoint for women's basketball and I think that um, you you brought up a really good point, John. She's been getting some some criticism. I think it was Cheryl Swoops who was complaining that she really hadn't done her homework. She was saying, "Well, she's going to break the record, but you know, it's in a COVID year type thing." And the, it, right now, the easy answer is no. This is her fourth year, you know, and it'd be good if it just stayed that way. That that has to be satisfying for her to be able to do it without any asterisk. And if she stayed for another year, it's already been broken, but I agree. Why why do that? Why stay? Not to, you know, put you on the spot, Sam, or, or marginalize her, but you find Caitlin cute? she do it for you? Mm. No. Maybe dropping 50 points kind of. I was going to say, the balling part of it, like, I, I do think, like, she does kind of have that girl next door bit. baller thing, <laughs> little loving basketball. Yeah. Like, so endorsements, I mean, she doesn't sell the sex appeal, but, you know, little, yeah. got a little bit of it, uh, maybe. Yeah, I think I think maybe being able to drop 50, it's a little bit. Yeah. yeah. She's a powerful woman. We should get her and Dalton connect together. <laughs> I think she could do better than Dalton. <laughs> I mean, now you're be, selling our guy short. I'm just saying. I mean, I don't think I don't find Dalton cute. I mean, maybe she does look at Dalton as a baller though. Like maybe you know, maybe we get a little love and basketball thing in the works. I don't know right. if the if the women's and men's all Americans intertwine at all, but it, maybe shooting 45 percent from three, like two years old. Yeah. Okay. You might be onto something there. Or if she goes overseas, maybe she connects with Euros. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> Why did you have to bring him back up? Um, the other thing, too, which I'm struck by, because, again, there's the, she's got, like, universal respect. There's this article on CBSSports.com from all these Big Ten coaches and players. I mean, everybody is, like, you know, they're all saying the same stuff. Like, God, she's she's generational. And so, John, you I think you may be right. She may be she's, – she's a bigger deal than Steph Curry in, in a lot of ways. Well, yeah, the the college version of Steph Curry, of course, not correct, not, not Steph Curry after he got to the NBA and all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah but the, the, the college version of Steph Curry, she's 
I mean, she's quite frankly the biggest college basketball star we've had in in a long time. Yeah. I mean, I don't know who you go back to. I mean, because she's bigger than Jimmer Fredette. I would I would stop at like Tyler Hansbro and JJ Redick. Like I don't know if they had the same type of off the court appeal, but I mean they played on you know two of the most popular teams and you know were dominant players. But like since then, I don't know what college players been more popular than her. The biggest stars are in women's basketball right now, and she's the biggest one. But like, no, she's amazing. She's amazing, and she's fun to watch, and I do look forward to the tournament. I don't think they have a team good enough to win it all, but, like, she'll be must-see TV as she tries to win a title. Then here in Knoxville, we had the Lady Vols put up a fight, I guess. I saw they were up at halftime against South Carolina. Then I saw they end up losing and didn't have a, a great end to the game. Yeah, they were tied going into the fourth quarter. Um I didn't see a lot of the game, to be honest, but I did. Seven, seven points in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I picked it up in the third quarter and then watched to the end. It was uh, pretty frustrating. And you you have to believe I kept kind of viewing that as maybe this is Kelly Harper's last stand. If she could win that game, that would that'd probably save her, her job. I, I just don't see how she's going to – I just don't see how that's going to end in a, in a happy way. Um, it's a tough one. Can I interest you in some women's bracketology? Sure. I didn't even know they they had it, but I, I guess I should know. Better. Okay, women's basketball's pretty popular now, Bob. Okay, Where I don't you? know if you just heard me talk about Caitlin Clark. Of course, they got bracketology now, but <laughs> heading into the game last night, Tennessee was holding on as an 11 seed. Like I don't know if a loss at home to South Carolina knocks you out of the tournament, but like that's where Tennessee's at right now, teetering on missing the tournament altogether. So when you talk about Kelly's last stand, I don't even know if a win against South Carolina last night saves her job. Unless unless it's followed up, of course, by like a going on a run and building off of it and winning some more games. I don't think a one singular win would right the wrongs of this season because you're on the cusp of maybe missing the tournament. And at the very least, being in trouble to even win a game in the tournament. Yeah. Have you fired up your hot boards yet? Your Lady Vol hot board? Have you, have you gotten to that point yet? Have coaching <clears throat> names started circulating? Because it feels like we're there. They would never fire her in season, though, right? College, I don't think like college coaches usually get fired in season, but then Chris Holtman got fired. Yeah. So then I'm wondering, like, do you do you fire college basketball coaches in season these days? I don't think Tennessee would do that. I, I think I think they get through the season. Yeah. I don't know if you want to get an early start on a coaching search or something. You know, former player, all that stuff. Yeah, no, yeah, you, you handle that with respect, I'm sure. Yeah, but uh, now there's there's definitely names. We we see them; they're coming up everywhere. And the one that kind of came out of, not, I wouldn't say out of nowhere, because he's got a good team, is uh, the North Carolina State coach. His name escapes me right now, but I think they're ranked like in the top five or six. Well, as I'm looking at my bracketology, Wes Moore does have he does have the the Wolfpack ladies. As a one seed, so yeah, it does seem like he's pretty good. Wes Moore, it's the first time I've heard of him. But yeah. Looks like a winner to me. You always hear Jeff Waltz from uh, Louisville. Um, then there was the social media craze on, what's her name? Is it Molly Miller from Grand Canyon? or? Yeah, I don't know her name. Yeah, but She's my pick. Yeah, she's my pick. <laughs> she's my pick. Do you feel like Danny will throw money at anybody kind of thing? Like I don't I- know. I 
I, I am actually very interested in what he does with the women's coaching search that's inevitable. It seems like it's, I mean, you're obviously a big enough school in, the, in women's basketball. Like, I feel like you could pluck just about any candidate off their off wherever they're at. Well, we've talked about it. This should be the sport that you're the best at. Like, we talked about the baseball team, the basketball team, the football team, who's healthier, and I think you could make a case for all three. Like, I think you could make a legitimate case for all three. Football season ticket sales through the roof. Nico, Heupel, renovations, all those things. Basketball, of course, Rick Barnes, baseball, Tony Vitello, we talked about it. But you can make a case, I think, for all three. The answer should be always women's basketball at Tennessee, like because Tennessee kind of created women's basketball. You, you, you talk about Blue Bloods, right, and UConn and Kentucky. We had that discussion. and Right. When it comes to Blue Bloods and women's college basketball, there should be one queen. And it should be Tennessee. Now, you could say UConn, too. That's fine. But, like, Tennessee should even carry more weight than UConn because of the, the revere that people have for, for Pat Summit. But instead, you know, obviously, it hasn't been relevant really in a decade. And... I don't care about women's basketball, so I don't like to get, come out here and give a lot of strong opinions because I do think there are people, even in our audience, listening right now that do care. There might be some people that are actually at the game. So I try not to like have strong opinions on things I don't know about and disrespect people's passions. It'd be like me coming in here and saying something about World of Warcraft or something, like and talking about like <laughs> video games that I don't play and Yu-Gi-Oh! And I don't know. I don't know anything about it. I'll stay quiet. But like I will say that I think everyone would agree that Tennessee should be the best at women's college basketball. And we're not even close. I just told you we might miss a tournament. They put 65 teams in there. Maybe 68. I don't know if they have the 14 play, and I guess maybe they do. They put 68 teams in there, Sam. We, don't, we might not even be one of them. Before the game last night, we were considered the last four by. And I know that's unacceptable. So I am really fascinated how Danny handles it because – if there was one thing you could swing your stick on, it would be like, hey, I'm going to go out and hire one of the best women's college basketball coaches in the country. I'm going to hire somebody that's a proven winner, somebody who maybe has a one seed or goes to the Final Four this year. Like Anybody outside of Don Staley and the Stanford coach and Geno should be on the table, you would think. If he wanted to even like lose money getting the brand back and say, hey, I'm going to invest in this because, A, it matters here. And B, restoring our, our our programs more important than the bottom line. And we'll make it back on the other side. Like, I, I would like that if Danny did it. But then I'm also fascinated on the other side of him getting outside the Lady Vol family and maybe hiring a man. Yeah. And the meltdown that would come from that. I don't know if the Lady Vol faithful that, you know, would be mad about that even have a leg to stand on anymore, though. Because we've, we've tried it that way of just keeping it in Pat's tree. The last two years, or last two hires, I should say. We've tried that. It hasn't worked out. So I don't know if you get to say, hey, the third time's a charm. Do it one more time. Might be like, hey, we actually have to go out and just hire the best coach available. Because Philip Fulmer tried that method of like, hey, we're going to keep somebody that is a lady of all, that, that learned from Pat and blah, blah, blah. And then that led to a coach that, quite frankly, is in over her head. That, that if you looked at just the resume, shouldn't have gotten the job. So, yeah, I am interested to see if Danny whips out the paycheck, goes out and lands somebody big, and also if he goes out and hires a man. 
Because I do think you'd have some meltdown locally about that. Well, that's what past history indicates. It'll, it'll be interesting. I, I, yeah, Danny, I, I think there, it was a different day. So it'll be interesting to see what, you know, Danny, Danny's got his game plan and, uh, he seems to be sticking to it. And so far it's been, it's been good. So let's just see. I, for the longest time, I thought maybe he just, I don't want to say doesn't care, but everything else is humming and, but now maybe he's looking at it as a challenge. And to your point, John, this is a chance to restore some of the glory that this program really set the table with for so many years. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he's like, hey, this is there's no reason for me to rock the boat and to go out and hire a man and, and make a portion of the fan base mad. Because, I mean, that was part of Dave Hart's undoing was, was just the Lady Vol misstep and, like, you know, some people didn't care about it. Some people thought it was funny. But there were enough people that actually got mad about it and were disrespected by it that, like, that was just a sign of ineptitude from your leadership. So, like, I don't know if Danny White would be like, hey, I don't want to really walk, rock the boat here. Let's just do something safe. And, yeah, I'll call Kara Lawson. Try to get her from Duke. You know, Lady Vol. And we'll we'll try it again with, uh, with somebody from the Pat Summit tree. We'll try that again. Because, like, no one's going to get mad if you fire Kelly Harper and hire, you know, Kara Lawson. You'd be like, oh, that's great. But also, maybe Danny's like, hey, I don't really have a chance to hire a coach anytime soon in my other three sports because they're all so good right now. So maybe I'm itching. Maybe I, maybe I want a little coaching search. I'm tired of these renovation talks. Let me go out and try to hire somebody. Let me get a couple interviews on the books. But if you just look, I mean, at Vanderbilt, home for LSU, <laughs> home for A&M, at South Carolina, like, that seems like a two and two finish at best. Like, I don't know if Vanderbilt's any good. They're better. I know that they've better improved. than Tennessee. Or well, they've improved a lot. I don't know if they're better than Tennessee. Okay. And I'm kind of like you. I don't. I probably don't pay enough attention to the women's game to be that uh, in touch with it. But uh, but she's bad. Uh, Shea Ralph is their coach, and they, she's definitely got them uh, on an upward swing. They were Vandy was down for a little bit. They're right neck and neck. They're they're in the last four in. So like yeah, they're basically comparable to Tennessee, and that's at Vanderbilt. So like maybe even one and three. So like yeah, it's, it's inevitable. It's happening. So like I am a little interested in it just to see, you know, yeah. how Danny approaches it. I would prefer to be good at everything. You know, when we talk about we're good at everything, well, except women's basketball. <clears throat> I would rather just say we're good at everything. Well, it's a chance to galvanize the every part of the fan base too, right? Because he's going to alienate if he if if there's any by his actions if it shows that he's. Just not paying much attention to the women's program, that's that's going to be a problem in the eyes of a lot of people. I wouldn't say a lot of people. I would say the vast majority of people won't care. Now, again, but it'll be a portion of people that are offended for sure. And yeah. And some of those people might be high-dollar people, yeah. you know, have gone to the games for a long time. And there might be some influential people he upsets. But I think ultimately, like, that's not going to be an undoing, as long as he's not disrespectful. Yeah. Like, and Dave Hart, I thought, came across as disrespectful. Like, hey, we're getting rid of the Lady Vol name. We're all Vols now. And everyone's like, whoa, 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 hold on. Yeah. Like, that that came across as disrespectful. Danny White just being like, ah, you know, whatever. We'll try to we'll try to get this thing right, but I'm not going to make it a priority. It might come across as flippant, but it doesn't come across as disrespectful. And, like, people might, you know, have, have their groups of fans that are upset. But the vast majority of people are going, hey, as, as long as football's healthy, we're good. And then it'll be like, well, as long as football and baseball and basketball are healthy, we're good. 
And hey, all the other sports are good, so great job by you, Danny. Just, just don't come across as disrespectful. That'll be the problem. Yeah. That's when you run into trouble. Sam, did you think we'd spend 20 minutes on women's college basketball when you pulled in today? Yeah. You did think we would? Okay, fair <laughs> no, enough. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> did you find yourself interested? Uh, yeah. Or were you dozing off looking at your phone doing other stuff? No, I, I was interested. Okay, I do think it's interesting where we where we kind of go. I mean, I think it's obviously a kind of a foregone conclusion that you're going to see Harper get fired probably at the end of the year. So I think it is a big decision because Danny's obviously investing heavily in every other sport and – like you said, this is the one that you think you should be good at all the time. So I think he'll go and make a splash. It's really true. Like, you should be the premier program. Whatever program in football you think should always be good, that's what Tennessee, mm-hmm. the Lady Vol brand is. Like, Kentucky basketball thinks they should always be good. They probably should always be good. You could really say UCLA should, should be good all the time in college basketball, too. That's where the Lady Vols are. And we're not good. Not good at all. Not good at all. All right, we'll switch gears on the other side. Bob, you got any other thoughts about the Lady Vols, Caitlin Clark? <clears throat> no, I think uh, I think we covered it, and and I yeah, I, I think it was worth the time today too. There was there was a lot of good stuff to talk about. So yeah, we're good. I do like me some Caitlin Clark though. Yeah, it's tough not to watch, man. She's must see TV. We should just add her into that little three point contest. Last minute entry. Well, I was gonna say, like, I mean, like, yeah, the Steph Curry, Sabrina, Ionescu, like, uh, what's wrong with throwing Caitlin Clark in there? I mean, I, I get that it's like in the middle of the season, or not the middle, but the end of the season. Only four games left in her career, so she's probably a little preoccupied. That's probably the issue, Sam. Yeah, yeah, but it would be it would be cool. <laughs> It'd be funny. She's like, ah, you, I, I broke the record. I'll be back for the tournament, guys. You guys get some reps by yourself. I gotta go do. Got to go do some things. Try to win without me. <laughs> Mom has got to go make some money. You guys figure that, those plays out that we put in. You guys work on your screens because I'll just come back and start pulling again. But I'll let you guys get some shots over the next four games. Mom has got to go see Steph Curry. All right, send us a break, Sam. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Adrian, I fell asleep amid the flowers For a couple of hours On a beautiful day the segment is brought to you by Logo Solutions, powered by SM Athletics. Are you a business owner, club, director, member of a social or religious organization and have a logo but need merchandise to help represent your brand, club, or organization or mission? Well, check out Logo Solutions, powered by SM Athletics. You have a logo, they have a solution. That's why it's called Logo Solutions. You get it? You have a logo. They have a solution. From custom apparel to headwear and promotional items, Logo Solutions is your one-stop shop for all your branded merchandise needs. Made right here in East Tennessee. Be sure to give them a call for all your logo needs. 865-966-3434. Logo Solutions, powered by SM Athletics, smathletics.com. I don't know if this is a sign of things to come in terms of who the new power brokers of the conference are. Of course, Nick Saban steps down. Alabama takes a hit. It opens up somebody to step into that, that void 
of being powerful. But you had Texas AD Chris Del Conte confirming that the SEC is progressing to a nine-game conference schedule by the 2026 season. So, on one hand, if you want non-SEC games, good news. On the other hand, if you're worried about Texas coming in and getting preferential treatment from the SEC, maybe this makes you feel nervous too. It's a pretty big power move by Texas right off the bat. We're going to come in here and drop this news. Yeah. But, yeah, nine-game conference schedule by the 2026 season, according to Texas's AD, the new golden boy of the SEC. I really hope they flop in game <laughs> one. I really hope they don't come in and win the league the first year. Are you in favor of nine versus eight, though? I think I am. Yeah, I mean, of course, I want to see how it shakes out in terms of who all we play and who are your permanent rivals and how they do the scheduling. Will it be a three and six? Or you're playing, you know, three teams every year and then you're rotating six and you're getting to every – because that would allow you to get to every school, right, within two years? Yes. The six and six. You'd get to be at every road venue because, you know, we talked about – how unique it is to play at certain places. Tennessee going to Arkansas, for example. Like, When's the last time you'd been to Arkansas? I mean, COVID year, and then before that, you know, maybe three years prior, I don't know. Like Texas A&M, for example. I mean, Tennessee's only been there once since they've been in conference. Is that right? Have we only been to Texas A&M once? I don't remember. When was the last time Tennessee played at Ole Miss? That's a good one, Bob, yeah. I know they played in 20, like, 14. Or I guess it'd be, yeah, 20, 2014. Hugh Freeze punched in a garbage-time touchdown to cost me some shekels. <laughs> that jerk. But, yeah, like, I mean, like, so you, there's there's plenty of SEC schools that players have come and gone and not gotten to play at. So, like, if the nine-game schedule, if it allows you to make sure you're playing at every place within two years, I think that's kind of cool. And I think it's good for season ticket holders, you know, f- at Tennessee to know that you get big games as far as like the 12 team playoff. I I think that's going to raise Tennessee's and other sec teams strength of schedule, but also it's going to create more three loss teams, which is why I think you're seeing the sec and big 10 want to have more of a say in like how the playoff moves forward. Yeah. Back just very quickly back to the nine versus eight Thing. My my feelings on it are that we tout this as the best conference in the country, and and I I don't disagree. It's like let's I'd I'd rather see unless like say Tennessee for example, unless they were going to be playing a non conference game against a power team, I'd rather see nine SEC games versus eight uh, instead of another game versus I don't know you know like UT Martin or you know South Alabama or something like that. Do you think there's a push from the TV? From ESPN, who's giving out all this money that's like, hey, we'll pay for another week of action. We want nine games. We want to have another full week of slots of, of marquee matchups and to remove, you know, like you said, the, the wasted weeks because it's a TV product. Now more than ever, it's a TV business. It's the idea of the amateurism is kind of gone. And, hey, you're making some NIL money now, so... You'll be okay. 
the NCAA is still not giving you any money. You're still not getting paid a salary. But, hey, you got a chance to make some money, so suck it up. You don't need the, the three bot wins. You can, you can get by with only two of those. Yeah, it's possible. That's a good question. Um, I mean, TV does rule the roost on all of this, so uh, I, I, I could see that happening behind the scenes. Because it's not like the SEC needs it for public perception, right? No. It's not like it's like, hey, we're not going to get in to the playoff. We're not going to get these spots because, oh, well, sorry, the Big Ten played nine conference games, so we think these teams are better. The Big 12 had nine conference games, so sorry, SEC, you only played eight, so we're going to give their, their uh, third or fourth best teams the not over your third or fourth best teams. Like That's not really how it'll go, so I, I do think it's just a TV product, and I think it's good as a fan, especially if the SEC has a rule where you have to play a, a Power 5 team non-conference too. Like if, if you're guaranteeing 10 of your 12 games are going to matter, I think that's good for a consumer. Yeah. Now, ultimately, that might be bad for, like, ticket prices, and your ticket prices might go up because there's going to be actual quality there. My, my only hang-up, Bob, when you ask about the nine-game conference schedule, my only hang-up is the imbalance it creates in terms of the scheduling. It would suck to... Have like your one shot to win the conference, and then you're like, oh man, we gotta go on the road five times this year instead of four. We play five road games. That would suck. Yeah. That that that's not fair. Like if somebody you're chasing has five home games and you only have four, that's not necessarily competitive balance. And you're right. Uh, I'm just sitting there thinking about it. Is that is that almost a certainty? with an even amount of teams but an odd number of weeks that somebody's going to have to play more road games. Maybe the eight-game you know, the eight game thing was you know because it could be four and four. Sure. I don't know. I, I mean, it feels like a certainty. Yeah, if you have nine games, you have to play five somewhere and four in the other place unless – I mean, I, I guess, you know, Georgia and Florida, they'll continue their neutral site thing, and yeah. Texas, Oklahoma will con- you know, continue their neutral site thing. But, like, Tennessee doesn't have one of those. Yeah, I'm just trying to, again, do the rough math in my head with an even number of teams and all that stuff. It may not matter, but it's like I don't know if there's a workaround where that doesn't happen. But I don't know. Am I an idiot? I, I can't grasp what you're saying because, like, with just nine games, does it not have to be uneven? No, you could play – that's what I'm getting at is you could play five and four – Five and four. It just depends. That's what I'm saying. You have that many teams. I'm trying to balance out. You have an even number of teams. Uh I know we have an odd number of weeks, but there may be some combination that works where they still have, you know, there's there's probably somebody that there might be a few teams. I don't think it's – I don't think there's probably a way to work around where it's not like more than half the league has to play more road games than home games. Again, with the neutral sites, it does throw a little bit of a wrinkle, but the simple math to me, and again, I'm not pretending to be a mathematician or anything, but like to me, it just there has to be, if a team's playing five home games, somebody's having to play on the road five times essentially, and like you know, you, you extrapolate that out to every team, and sure, it might not be half and half because again, Texas, Oklahoma, Georgia, and Florida, maybe even that out, maybe Arkansas, A&M do their neutral site stuff. But as far as, like, Tennessee goes, we don't have one of those. So, like, on given years, I imagine if we get five home games one year, we'll get five road games a year after that. Kind of like how the NFL does that now with the AFC, NFC with their 17 games. They rotate. Like, one year the AFC teams get nine home games. The other year is the 
AFC team goes on the road nine times. They kind of rotate that. They balance it out. But even then, to your point of that, about the neutral sites, like the Titans last year were supposed to have nine home games. Instead, they only got eight because one of them went to yeah. London. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, there's been – on most years you'll have – they do it inside the conference to keep the the competitive balance. I don't, I don't know how the SEC will do that. But, like, on the other hand, like if Tennessee, if one of their five road games is a trip to Vanderbilt, you're not going to get a lot of sympathy from people. No. No, that's true. Right. And, and maybe the years that you have – Five road games, you you get one of the lesser opponents. I don't know. But, like, right now, I mean, it's, you can't even argue it's balanced now. So, like, maybe me worrying about that is just kind of a, a straw man or is there a phrase of something that's like kind of insignificant we're giving attention to? Is there is there a word that represents that? Because right now there's no balance anyways when, like, you see that Georgia has three road games every other year because – in the four and four model, they get to lose a road game every other year to go play in Jacksonville against Florida. So it's not really balanced, anyways. And when you look at like Georgia gets to play Auburn, where Tennessee has to play Alabama, very, very rarely in history has that been a tougher game for Georgia. Yeah. Kentucky gets to play Mississippi State. You play Alabama, so like it's not like it's been an even playing field anyway. So whatever word represents paying attention to something that doesn't really matter. Can I say red herring in this scenario, Bob? That, mm. that me complaining about this is just a red herring? I don't know if that exactly fits. No, it's, it's kind of close. Yeah. I, I just watch a lot of I feel of like I've movies. heard one of these that pertains right to right, this. Right, yeah. Paying attention to something that doesn't actually matter. Yeah. Me worrying about the nine game. Oh, we got to play five road games. Maybe it doesn't matter because competitive balance is a, is a fallacy. It's a farce anyways. Sometimes I just throw words out that don't even like fit, but they sound good. But Red Herring, yeah, I watch enough scary movies. At least I know that phrase. <laughs> but you talked about the college football playoff and, you know, the, the SEC and Big Ten trying to kind of make sure they have the biggest seats at the table or multiple seats at the table. Maybe be the only two at the table helping, you know, the NCAA make decisions. We're looking at, what, a five plus seven? Five plus seven, five conference champions, and seven at large. Do we have? Do we still have five conferences? Well, that's what I'm trying to think is who's the fifth. You I have, guess is the, the fifth just the highest group five team? Is that taking the place? Well, the uh, the Pac-12 still has a bid this year. What? Oregon State and I'm sorry, whoever, Washington State. Yes, no Oregon way. State and Washington State. They yeah they like with the. Whoever finishes no. the top between those two teams is not making the playoffs. Those no. two have the ability to, yeah, have the ability. They don't like they have a they have with whatever that lawsuit went down. Like they have the right, basically, where like they could be an eight win team and still make the playoffs. No, they they, they are they, guaranteed they, they, a spot into the into the playoff they, if they play as a conference champion. I think. No, no, that's not accurate. Really? Yeah. What I'm reading is that um, Washington State and Oregon State. It says neither school can qualify for an auto, automatic bid as a conference champion in each of the next two seasons. And that's why the Pac-12 and Mountain West work on their deal about how they're going to. Maybe it's different football. now that they're going with the Mountain West. I mean, I think they can be an automatic. Maybe they're an automatic qualifier as a as an at-large or something. If I they, think before they started this Mountain West merger, they had the ability to literally be able to like amend if they wanted to that they could get into the playoff as an automatic bid since the conference yeah, since, is still. But they they've been alive. fighting it, but that's they're now kind of because the vote happens next week, okay. and they're saying. Yeah. 
that those two schools are kind of starting to uh, acquiesce. You know, they're yeah. kind of like, okay, we don't have this figured out, and we recognize there's got to be a vote. So, and they're not, they're going to get Trump. Now, yeah. If you told me that they were in line, Sam, to to be able to register as the highest Group Five team and get that automatic bid, I would say yes, that makes sense. To get treated like, hey, yeah, we know you're not necessarily Group Five. You're kind of in this weird limbo, but if you're the highest ranked team. That's not a conference champion or in this major conference, you get the automatic bid. I would say that's probably fair, and I'd be okay with that if they're yeah. the highest ranked. But see, like, yeah, the five conference champs, the five and seven, I, th- I thought the SEC was saying, hey, we're not doing that. I thought the Big Ten was saying, we're not doing that. Um, I thought it was more six and six. Was, okay. Was, was that what one, they were pushing it, back yeah, against? Yeah, and that, that now they're they're open to the five and, five and seven. And, Again, I'm sitting here thinking you've got ACC, Big 12, Big 10, SEC, and then you're right, it's probably whatever uh, out, out of the American or Sun Belt or I don't know, uh, which hopefully that would get replaced. Can I do a four and eight? Yeah. No, I mean, look, when Oregon State and Washington State get into the Mountain West, there's actually, a, you know, there's at least a more logical chance for one of those teams to be, maybe they become the, the kind of the dedicated fifth conference that gets recognized, but that's still two seasons away. Um, what a mess. Freaking Pac-12, man. They, they messed it all up. So, yeah, if they if they get the Pac-12 to, like you said, kind of concede, they expect this to pass with unanimous approval. So the five highest-ranked conference champions. So, yeah, I guess they're just going to say any conference champion that's – yeah. And they're not even saying the major five. So, like, theoretically, the SEC would never have a conference champion, of course, not be the top five. But I guess they're saying if they, if there's a down year and there are five conference champions ahead of the SEC champion, that the SEC champion doesn't automatically qualify. Is that what they're saying? Uh, maybe. I, I, Again, it, it's one of those things that's not going to happen. But, like, you yeah. can tell me that the ACC champion or the Big 12 champion next year gets, you know, Outranked by a team that wins the American and you know another team, another conference. James Madison. Yeah, or, sure. Yeah. Like one of those. Anyways, it's gonna be interesting. But I, yeah, I, to Sam, to your point, I don't think it precludes Oregon State or Washington State for getting into the playoff next year. You know, if one of them, yeah, they'd probably have to run the table, be undefeated, maybe one loss to get in, but. Um, I mean, I guess technically, but, if if there is, if they are still under the umbrella, so maybe Sam, they're not getting the automatic qualifier, but like they're saying, if we are the quote unquote conference champion, and we're ranked higher than another conference, we're one of the five. Is that what they're trying to claim? I think that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, because like in the past, it was like, hey, if you win your conference at eight and four, you automatically get in. But now they're trying to they, they've they've worked they've reworked the adage of the five highest ranked. Versus like the automatic qualifiers of the Power Five, that, no. is that not reworked from what it used to be? No, it's they're they're specifically saying they don't qualify for an automatic bid as a conference champion. So, but but even if they're not, even if they're a conference champion, quote unquote, and they're ranked number ten, they're saying they're not automatic automatically qualified at that point. No, they they but they could still be placed as an at large. Is the point? They that's that's really not a problem. Well, I think it matters though, Bob, in the sense of if they are not deemed a conference champion, then it affects home field advantage. Like if an Oregon State team was undefeated and ranked number three or four, they would be in line for a bye. Yeah. Would that, would that 
they get recognized as a conference champion then and and no okay so yeah that that is what I'm confused about. No, that's that, at least that's what I'm reading here. It's uh, on ESPN.com. They're saying that that does that they won't qualify. Yeah, well, the, they're not a conference, so okay, that's yeah. fine. I have no issue with that. Yeah. But like, they need to quit calling them the Pac-12 in, this, in these releases. <laughs> yeah. They're not the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is dead. This ruling that I'm reading here, this was like back in November. So this is, I mean, I haven't looked into this probably since November. So that's why I'm probably wrong here. But it's basically saying that the. Uh, you know, like the lawsuit that they've had, they've granted Oregon State and Washington State basically preliminary injunction against the other 10 schools, said it's like what we're doing with our NCAA investigation, irreparable harm. And so basically they could go on and be the Pac-12 because they have a two-year grace period. So they get to keep the name. Basically. Yeah, they get to. They basically get to operate under the umbrella of the Pac-12 while being a two-team conference. And they were saying that in that two-year grace period that technically they would be allowed to be into the playoff. But I think now that they've it, reached this Mountain West merger, that has gotten Well, it also seems like they've been successfully bullied by everybody else. Right. The rest yeah. of the time right. like, no, this right. isn't happening. And, like, if you do make a fuss on this, we're not going to schedule you. We're going to blackball you if you're going to exactly. be jerks. If you're going to mess up the money for everybody – Enjoy dying. Play each other 10 well, times. Well, that's the thing. They do continue to get the Power 5 revenue uh-huh. for the next two years. Yeah, they but, get all of But they money. can't automatically qualify as a conference champion. Well, that's probably the compromise, and that's yeah. probably why it is important they keep getting called the Pac-12. Yeah. And so they can make sure they have some money as they figure out the next steps as they keep calling it. But, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they got successfully bullied. Like, enough. You're not getting an automatic qualifier. Vote the way we want. Or, like, again, enjoy scheduling yourself. Ten times. I just remember this with Charlie because he was fascinated the fact that like Oregon State could just go and schedule the worst conference opponents of all time and then go play Washington State and Oregon State in the championship together and be like, yeah, we're going to go to the playoff. It's not that different than what Ohio State does every year in Michigan. <sighs> pretty much, pretty much. There was some, uh, the, the guy who's the chair of the college football playoffs board of managers, he's an SEC guy, Mississippi State president, said, we're going to have the issue resolved one way or another. That's pretty much saying, "Hey, man, we're moving on. You're, you've you've had your your say, but this is what we're going to do." Um, yeah, it's now. Hold on. This this article says Schultz. Now who's Schultz? Schultz here is the uh, Schultz is here. I guess he's the uh, president he, of Washington State. Yeah. Okay, so he's talking about how the 5-7 and seven model benefits Washington State and Oregon State more than the 6-6 six, six model. Because there's more at-large bids. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. They, they still have a chance to be in the playoffs. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We, work, we work through that. Thank you. Okay. I got it. Or they have a greater chance. Sure. There's Okay. So instead of 6 at-large, there's 7. Yeah. I really don't, I really don't even like the 5. I don't like the five. I don't think a, a conference champion should automatically get in because there could be a year where the conference champion is not worthy of being a top 12 team. Now, I know you might not get those conferences to vote on that, but, like, we don't know moving forward if the Big 12 is going to be a legitimate conference. Like, do I think that whoever wins it is probably going to be one of the 12 best teams? Sure, I guess. But, like, you could easily tell me that one year, like, nine and three Utah wins. Mm-hmm. And isn't better than nine and three Tennessee, that played te- at Texas and played at Alabama and just lost, you know right. went nine and three, didn't win their conference. Like, that, is that not a very like realistic possibility that the Big Twelve is going to start pumping out some pretty mediocre champions? 
you could say the same for the ACC. I mean, yeah. they have Clemson and Florida State, but they could have off years. I find it. I was going to mention them, but I find it hard to believe that neither Clemson nor, you know, nor Florida State or even like Miami isn't at least a, Miami, a top yeah. ten team. Like if they win that conference, but like you could easily tell me that in the Big Twelve because I mean you're looking at who, Colorado, Arizona, Baylor, Baylor, TCU. Kansas State. I mean, I know TCU and Kansas State's been pretty good the last couple of years, but still, like, there's no like Oklahoma State. Like, yeah, wh- who who was the highest ranked team this year in the Big T- uh, Big Twelve that was it Texas? Like, uh, was who, it Kansas State? Were, were they a top twelve team? Where do they come in in the final rankings? I don't know. Because, like, I mean, I, Kansas State was you know pesky, but I don't remember them being you know a factor this year. So I'm curious, like in terms of who would even have been that, because Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, State, yeah, that's what I would. Assume. But where did they come in at? 16. Right. So like, if you remove Texas from that, yeah, Oklahoma was 15. So if you took both of them out, they'd still be 14, which they wouldn't be in the field. Now in this scenario, Arizona is going to be in the Big 12, and they're number 11. Right. But like, that's right on the edge. Like, are we sure we're fine with that? And maybe the other conferences aren't going to vote, but like. I don't know. I just thought the SEC and Big Ten had the biggest power here. So, like, why are they allowing these other conferences to kind of punk them? Because if I'm the SEC and I'm the the Big Ten, I'm like, hey, there's no automatic qualifiers. We're just doing 12 teams. 12 best teams. And if you want to do, like, the – if you want to make the buys be the conference champions, that's fine. Like, that's a tiebreaker. Mm -hmm. Like, if you are a conference champion, then fine, you get to host a buy. If you make it in otherwise, I'd be fine with that. But, like – if I'm the SEC and Big Ten, like, do they not? Can they not just say like, "Hey, this is the way we're doing it," or else we're not we're not joining? We'll do our own playoff. Because every year, if you just took three SEC teams and put them with three Big Ten teams, or I guess do four and four, that would do that would that would do numbers. Who are you missing in that scenario? Clemson and Florida State. Okay, cool. Who cares? Yeah. Oh, Utah's not going to play. Okay, cool. Who cares? Even if we're like, "Hey, Notre Dame, you can come play in our SEC Big Ten Invitational," you're cool. <laughs> You're shaking your head no, Sam. But like the Big Ten and, and Notre Dame, they, they, they make sense. They have a little bit of a relationship. Like, hey, come on, Notre Dame. You have a seat at the table. Come on. I still like Notre Dame. That's fine. But if you're <laughs> if you're a top eight team, we'll let you in. We're not going to give you as much money, but we'll let you in. Is Notre Dame part of the ACC in this construct? I mean. I don't think so, no. So they're still an independent. Yeah. But they're not. Highest group five conference champion, like that gets in either. So, like, I don't know. I guess they just have to be a top 12 team and like hope that like one of the seven at large bids go to them, which it should. That's why I hate Notre Dame. So, that's kind of what, <laughs> in, a, in a way, they're not Notre Dame, but that's what Oregon State and Washington State will be doing. Correct. They're, they're Same being like. treated like an independent, at least from a selection process Correct. perspective. This is the way you made it sound to me. But like the, last year, Notre Dame at 10 and 3 finished 14th. So, they wouldn't have been in. I don't know. Like I said, I, I would think the SEC and Big Ten could wield some power here and just be like, sorry. We want as many teams as possible. And if you're telling me a five conference champion gets five conference champions are automatically in, that's five less spots for our teams to fill. But I guess they're still trying to be unified and not kill the NCAA altogether. <laughs> Maybe this goes to the next round of negotiations. Well, and then that's the. If we can, that's a good segue to the the whole talk. Have you seen this uh, headline about the the prospect of the NCAA basketball tournament expanding? 
Let's catch a timeout. You can tell us about it after the break. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. No weekend bet away. We kind of already previewed the weekend of college basketball. Anyway, Bob, anything you want to add to that before we move on from college basketball? No, um, no. I just think the games are really starting to matter for everyone. And you, we both talked about the fact that Tennessee, I guess, at least as a fan, you you do a little more scoreboard watching with some of these other teams now, um, and just assume and plan on the fact that uh, our guys are going to take care of business at least these next few games. It's really critical that they do and uh, maybe get a little help from some of the other teams. Hard to believe we might root for Kentucky a little this weekend. Sam, what is your level of excitement for Tennessee baseball as we get set to have our first pitch tonight out in Texas? That's before college basketball tomorrow. The Vols, who, you know, I think, whether or not Kirby Connell wanted to admit it, I think they have national championship aspirations. Like I, I do think that's Tony Vitello's goal. I think it's realistic. I think Tennessee is one of the teams that is is thinking that right now. This team could go and win it all, you know, if everything breaks correctly. I'm not saying it's win it all or bust. My goal for the season, I want to be hosting a Super Regional, be a top eight team. If you host a Super Regional, you'll feel like you got a pretty good shot of making Omaha. That's kind of where I'm at before the season is that fair or foul i think <laughs> foul foul ball <laughs> nice 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 baseball mood baby uh i think that's absolutely fair john you know i think this is a team obviously coming off of omaha last year and uh a super talented team and it's a program that vitello's obviously been able to to rise to the top and i think you're returning a lot of good guys and you found that vitello has really hit his stride in recruiting and he's now hitting guys out of the transfer portal that are big name prospects in in that regard and so I think now maybe if Chase Burns just didn't transfer I think this Tennessee team is probably regarded as you know maybe not the national title favorite but I think one of you know the top national title contenders in the country so you're losing a little bit obviously in Burns that's a top five pick maybe the number one pick in the draft after this year but I think there is a ton of of you know areas to be excited about for this team this year is there a football equivalent to like Chase Burns transferring in terms of a player that leaves and, and, and gets out of here because that is something that I think we move past pretty quickly. And I don't know if it's just the lack of the same care about the baseball program. I don't know if it's just the having more confidence in Tony Vitello to replace it and Frank Anderson to replace it. But, I mean, like that was, like you said, maybe a top five pick, maybe the number one pick, just up and leaving – who had been dominant for you and like had great moments in the postseason and you know had gotten back to being maybe the best pitcher in the country outside of of Skeens, like maybe the best returning pitcher in the country. Yeah, I mean, obviously kind of the whole thing that went down there was that the rumors was him and Frank Anderson kind of had some, you know, some relationship issues there maybe. So in terms of a comparison, I mean, man, it's like, it's one of your best players leaving. To me, it feels like it would be... Is it like a starting quarterback leaving? Is it James Pierce leaving? I mean, like, yeah, I, I don't yeah. know. Like... No, I think 100%. I mean, I, I think to me it would be like a like a Jalen Hyatt leaving after the Alabama game or something like that, after he scores five touchdowns. Like, I think it's so, a guy that established a ton of success at Tennessee. So Jalen Hyatt, just... maybe someone who had a good freshman year, showed flashes, had a disappointing sophomore year. So maybe he has the Alabama game at the end of his sophomore year, and then he leaves. Yeah, so I... 
that's a good question on trying to compare it. You yeah, know, it's a big one. It's a huge loss, but I think Tennessee. I mean, he was kind of the face of the program as far as on the field, right? Like he was the sure, yeah. Like last year, he was kind of the guy. He's like, your I mean, smart guy. I mean, obviously that huge energy off the bench. The year before would be Gilbert. You know, he was kind of the face, and Jordan Beck, like those guys, and then it kind of. You know, I guess you had Dahlander last year too, but I mean, like Burns kind of. Past Dollander in terms of, of, of fan appreciation, I think, towards the end of the year. I have a college basketball comparison. And okay. It's not a Tennessee player, but um, I think of like a Hunter Dickinson. Yeah, leaving that's a Michigan. Good one. That's a good one. Leaving Michigan and going to Kansas with the notion that you're yeah, Wake Forest was really successful. Tennessee's successful, you could argue. I think it obviously, as Sam said, there's more to it than just that about why he left, but it's going to a program that has just as good a chance to win it all. Um, and okay. I don't know. That's the one that came to mind for me because in football, again, I didn't think of a Tennessee player, but I thought, I don't know, Caleb Williams, but Williams is like a number one draft pick. I don't know. I don't know if that's a fair one. Well, Burns Burns might be the number one draft pick. I mean, he's, he's the best arm right now in baseball, I think. Yeah. So I, mean, I don't think that Caleb Williams is a bad one either. Um, Olivier Kumwa, had he scored like 30 points, in like the next two tournament games after the Duke game, because I mean he dominated Duke, but imagine like if he scored like thirty points the next couple of games, it takes you to the Final Four and leaves. Because I mean that's kind of what Burns did in terms of like being somebody that that helped get you to Omaha and then was dominant getting you an Omaha win. Now, of course, I know Kumwa's not that level, but he kind of had a similar thing where he balled out in the tournament against Duke, but then after the Florida Atlantic game, I'm like all right, go ahead and go. Like you're still that guy. Never mind. Get out of here. Yeah, you're Dickinson's not going to be a consistent good enough. I think Dickinson's a good comparison, John. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Bob, sorry. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, like, Chase Burns is gone, and I don't think anybody cares. You know, I, I didn't even really think to ask Kirby about that on yesterday or yesterday's show. Yeah, because, like, it's kind of an afterthought because I don't think Tennessee is necessarily crippled by it. No. Would you rather have him? Sure. Absolutely. Would you trust him to be a starter this year? I don't know. He wasn't a very good starter last year, so, like, he might just be better equipped to come out of the bullpen unless he's figured out a, another pitch because as a reliever, you can get by with having two dominant pitches. Now, I know against Stanford, he threw in a third pitch out of nowhere and was really, really good against them, but I don't know if I trust him as a starter. You you just mentioned Kirby, a question I wanted to ask, but I felt like, you know what, we're just getting to know this guy and, you know, maybe we want him on the show again. But uh, and he probably doesn't have the answer, but it's like, you know, what is up with Zane Denton too, you know? Well, I, I was told Zane Denton, basically, there was some eligibility questions. Like, really? I, I, I don't know if that's out there. I don't know, like, how much we're supposed to talk about it. But basically, like, from the moment he left last year, there was some questionable agent stuff that maybe still – like, Vitello had said this, like, himself. So, like, this isn't just me making this up or me hearing from a different source. But, like – I don't know if, how much they really wanted out there. I wanted it to be a talking point, but it's not a Dayton that uh, Zane Denton's gone like crazy type of thing, or like he's not sure of his future. It was really like even if he came back, it might take a while to get cleared. So like they don't want to have him for half a season. So it might be better just to get it cleared yeah. and figure it out next year. Is what I was told. So like I, I don't know, yeah, how much Kirby would actually talk about that either. Yeah. yeah. All right, so you don't have Chase Burns, obviously. He's not your starter. I need you, Sam, to give me the spill. Fill me in on A.J. Russell. And maybe after tonight he makes his first career start, I'll quit confusing him with Andrew Lindsay. Yes. AJ give me Russell. the spill on A.J. Russell. Yeah, I mean, he's a super talented guy. Obviously a true freshman yesterday. Or <laughs> last year, sorry. Um, 
but appeared a lot out of the bullpen. I mean, he appeared in, in 20-plus games. Um, you know, I think probably the big knock on him now coming out is that this will be his first start. It's a guy that hasn't exactly had a ton of experience in terms of going the distance. The longest he's pitched is, is three and a third. Uh, so that'll be something to watch is kind of how long they keep him going. But obviously, too, I think you Kirby kind of talked about it in terms of the depth that this pitching staff has. I don't know if you're exactly expecting this guy to go out and give you six or seven innings every single night. So I think you could go and get four or five quality innings from Russell and kind of let some of that bullpen go to work after that. Uh, but it, he's a really talented kid, and I've heard that he's put on some weight in the offseason, a good 15 to 20 pounds. So I think you'll see his velocity go up and – He's a guy that has has had good command of his pitches, uh, you know, since coming in as a freshman. So I think you'll continue to see that this year. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You you think he's a five inning guy? Like tonight, I get. Like if it's early in the season, you're you're careful with it. But like, I imagine if you're getting the Friday spot, you, you gotta be stretched out and have some stamina. No, he like, can. He'll he'll get stretched out. But I'm saying like I think that this uh, your your pitching staff is strong enough to where like you don't need to rely on him for seven a night type of thing. Well, see, I, I would. I want to push back on that if he's going to be in the Friday spot. Like, I understand the pitching staff is, is solid, but, like, we still want our day one starter, our night one starter of an SEC series to not have you going and getting multiple bullpen arms out, right? Like, is that not kind of baseball strategy one-on-one? Like, that's the reason your ace pitches, like, game one of, like, playoff series, and, like, you you want to maximize the innings that they can pitch and the depth they can go. And, again, early in the season, non-conference, I'm not worried about that. This is an eye towards the SEC and – you know, even getting later. And in the tournament, that'll be a little bit different, too, because it'll be, hey, all hands on deck type of thing. You don't even necessarily need to save arms. You you just throw as many arms out there as you can get. But it, in a season, especially like in a SEC season, an SEC series, like I want my starter to go out there and give you seven innings. He can give you seven, but I think you've got the guys in this bullpen to feel fine about, you know, stretching it out and, and giving guys one to two innings at a time. I mean, you – you went and got a guy in Nate Snead in the portal. That's a guy who can go be a long reliever. If you yeah. get four or five innings out of out of Russell, Snead can go give you three easily, and then you go into your back half. Uh, Stamos is a guy coming out of California who's Stamos from California. Yeah, in relation to John, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. What's this guy's first name? Uh, Chris. Can I call him Uncle Chris? That oh, doesn't sound as good as Uncle Jesse. U- Uncle Jesse, <laughs> Uncle Chris. <laughs> Full House reference. <laughs> I think you've got some long relievers though in this bullpen that can you can feel comfortable about not maybe getting a the long start out of a out of a guy maybe but I think Russell will absolutely be able to stretch it for you and I think they've asked him that kind of going into this season also. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. I mean, I imagine everybody's going to kind of be on a pitch count. You're not going to have guys go too deep in these games. I, I don't know what the number will be, but maybe around 80 pitches. You don't want to get burned out too early. So, like, yeah, tonight, I guess the goal, can you get to the sixth inning? Maybe that's the goal. Just get to the sixth inning. So, get through five, maybe face. If you told me, like, he pitched five and a third and gave up two runs, I'd be like, okay, that's a good first start. I think that's my goal for him tonight. Is that fair? Yeah. Is that a realistic? Is that would you be happy with five and a third to to given up? I think you'd be. I think you'd be perfectly fine with that, and I think you'd be fine with that just because of the talent that you've got, kind of in that in that bullpen. After that, I think that's kind of the main 
you might lose a little bit in terms of some some starter production, but I think you're you're a whole lot deeper in your bullpen this year. Yeah, and I mean maybe maybe college baseball is a little different. It's not as big of a grind in terms as comparing it to like Major League Baseball. Of course, you know you you don't throw your big guys during the week; they only throw once a week. So may, maybe the bullpen can be saved, and maybe a starter because I mean that's what we did in 2021, right? Like our Friday starter was a guy that pretty much only gave you five innings. I feel like a lot of the times. Yeah. So that was okay. And like you know, last year even you had Burns to be able to go three innings at you know at a time. Maybe there's somebody in there like you talked about. Was it who was the guy you said you brought in? Was it, was it Liam Spent? No, who, who'd you say you brought in? Uh, AJ Sne- or I'm sorry, Nate Sneed. Sneed, yeah. Yes. Liam Spence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Used to play here years ago. Liam Spence did yeah. used to play here. Yeah. yeah, Sneed's a guy that's gotten a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of attention kind of throughout throughout the fall. And if you have three or four guys that are in contention for the Sunday spot. Whoever doesn't get the Sunday spot is probably going to be in like a three or four inning relief role. Yeah. I think you'll see Tony get pretty experimental kind of with that Sunday role early on and just see which guys kind of fall into place and who can kind of slot into, you know, maybe an early starter role or, you know, I I think there's a a big open competition and some young guys too, potentially even some freshmen that could get some run there. That's what I was going to ask about the specifically the Baylor game on Sunday this weekend is do we expect to see like could be as many as like four pitchers in that game yeah that to me that Baylor game that Sunday matchup is the one that I'm looking at the most just because you know obviously you kind of know what you've got with Russell and and Beam and you've got guys that are that are kind of vying for that third spot I think it'll be interesting to kind of see Wyatt Evans has been a hot name that I've heard uh, was injured last year but he's got a, a lot of buzz around him uh, Xander Seacrest is a guy who's been around the program for a while and you kind of know what you're getting out of him so you might see him and then I know Kirby mentioned it as well uh, but Derek Schaefer's a, a young kid that has has got a lot of a lot of buzz coming out of out of high school I'm excited to see these new guys that you're mentioning and see them in their new roles the problem is not really gonna be able to watch unless you're it's $30 for a month of watching this yeah this weekend that's I'm tough. gonna try and illegally stream it somewhere I just don't know anywhere that will do it it's not a big enough thing to be like on any of the usual sites but maybe you'll find something yeah we had some, we had a listener ask that same question can you know can it be watched somewhere without having to pay 30 30 damn dollars for a full month subscription and it's like no you might have to pirate it somehow so have to but get you didn't hear that from me, by the way. I don't no. want to get implicated with that. <laughs> Bob's lawyer says that yeah. he can't say yes. that. So when you tell me that you expect Tony Vitello to get experimental, Sam, does that mean that we should not expect a fast start to the season and to kind of round into form like it was last year? Because yeah, you know, you had a rough start to the year last year. Yeah, you did slow. You did start a little slow, and it, it did end up costing you a chance to host even a regional. You weren't even a top sixteen team. You know, you you didn't get to host and. Cost me a little bit of money and fun getting to go and watch those games, but you know, ended up working out and you you peaked and you you figured it out and got to Omaha and won a game. But do you expect a slow start to the season during ex- experimentation, or the offense going to be good enough to kind of overcome that? Because it wasn't last year. The offense it took a while for the offense to get going. I mean, I think you could see a slow start for sure. I think you've you know you're you're replacing some guys on that offense too, and you're kind of expecting some some guys to step up into some roles and so you know you're losing a couple big bats like a a Jared Dickey type guy so I mean there's there's absolutely some production to be replaced I think yeah I mean you started you started off one and two last year in that in that season uh, tournament that you went out to in Arizona with a really talented squad as well so 
Give them what they want, Trey. I don't think it's necessary. Like, baseball is one of those sports where it's such a long season, you can't panic at the start, and it's one of those things that it just takes a little time for a team to mesh and, and get going together. So I wouldn't hit the panic button if we start slow, but I also would not be surprised at all if this team can kind of just start off right where you think they might and be a lethal offensive team. Well, I don't feel like the offense clicked last year until the Vanderbilt series. It yeah, feels like yeah. that kind of woke up the team, and then you kind of went on a run. You had those the Friday night. You, you had the miraculous kind of walk off. Uh, you tie the game, then win it with two home runs. And then that I it was a Saturday game that you just beat the hell out of them. Or maybe it was a, a Sunday game. I don't remember, but I was there. The power that you've gotten this year's lineup, I think, is something that is is something to really be excited about, though. Do you have a guess for how the lineup shakes out? I know there was a little bit of a tip in the tip of the hand, I guess, whenever it came to you know the inner squad scrimmage. Logan Quinton, I'll just give you Logan Quinton. See, he's our baseball guy. Yeah. You can tell me how you think it sounds. And we're gonna start off with my favorite guy, left fielder. Uh, Dryling, Dryling, out of Dryling, boy, Dylan okay. Dryling, yeah. Does he make would, sense as a leadoff hitter? One hundred percent, one hundred percent. I would expect to see Dryling as your leadoff guy. Simo at number two. Yeah, good with that. I think Simo is uh, is probably your number two guy for sure. Peebles at three. Definitely good with that. I think that's going to be uh, a quick fan favorite. It's a switch hitter. It's a guy that hit four hundred at NC State. Peebles will be one of the most dynamic hitters on this team. This Love year. that first name, man. Cannon. Yeah. It is perfect. He's got a catcher. great baseball yeah. name. Peebs. Yeah. Cannon Peebs. Yeah. Yeah. Peebs is a good name. Mm-hmm. It's a good nickname. Short. Cannon. Throwing people out. I don't know if he's got a strong arm behind the plate. I mean, I don't know. I don't feel like he's good. If you're hit as good as he is, like I imagine, like you're going to have to he's... most likely find a different position for your pro prospects because – well, he'll be a good enough hitter that he'll probably stay at catcher, honestly. Really? That's just a big enough premium. If you're a good hitter as a catcher and you're serviceable enough catching the ball, you'll I just figured if you're a good hitter, they'd want to save your knees. I mean, like, if you're Joe Maurer, sure, but, like, otherwise, like, maybe find you at first base and not have the wear and tear that eventually will ne- take you down from being a good hitter. I mean, I, I don't he know. He can DH, too. So, like, sure. universal DH now in baseball, that yeah. won't be as big of a, a problem for him in the major leagues. Blake Burke at fourth at cleanup. Um, yeah, that seems probably pretty right. I mean, that I seems high for me, ideally. I think maybe you could see Billy Amick or maybe, like, a Dalton Bargo-type guy maybe get over him. It sounded like in Vitello's press conferences that they're kind of asking Burke to be more comfortable in the middle of the lineup. Yeah, well, in the middle is number four, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think the middle is four, five, six. I mean, because yeah. I okay. feel like later in the – I mean, I feel like last year he was more like a seven, eight, nine role. I mean, like kind of – He'll be anywhere four to six, I think. Okay. I don't really want him in cleanup, I don't think. Unless he's, like, vastly improved his contact. I just don't – I don't know. I just didn't have a lot of confidence in him last year. Struggled with the play. breaking pitches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amick, Bargo – Insley, Tears, and is it Lowry? Lowry? Uh, yeah, Lowry, I think Lowry, maybe. Uh, I'm not sure on that one. Sorry, okay. Brad. Mid- the shortstop position is going to be early, like kind of in flux, right? As Tennessee's dealing with a couple injuries there, and you're trying to kind of see who takes that spot. Yeah, you had a kid, uh, a freshman, Ariel Antigua, who was kind of was hoping to be that, that starting shortstop, and he had a hand injury kind of late before the season started. So he's out. Um, but Lori's a guy that's you know is very talented as well. So I think you'll see them 
rotate some guys at short and second early on. Last question: three game series this weekend. Three and all the goal. You go at two and one. Two and one, I'm good with. But yeah, three and is always the goal. Best and worst of the week coming up after the break as we wrap up a week of shows here. Stay locked in on Fan Run Radio. White Claw. All right, let's wrap up this week of shows with a little best and worst of the week. Bob, what do you got? I'm going to give you my best and then come back to the worst. Okay. But the best is, well, tied to something that could be worst of the week, but we're not going to dwell too much on it. Oh, no. I think we got the best best. I think we got the same one. Uh-oh. Oh, no. It's okay. Trey Smith? Trey Smith. You go. I got another one. Well, I mean, you, but you have it laid out. I mean, the Trey Smith story that came out, I mean, he's getting a lot of love for handling the the tragedy and – you know, the tears and, I guess, frightfulness or just the anxiety that people in the crowd were feeling, a story of him consoling a crying boy and giving him the Chiefs championship belt and kind of sitting there and talking to him. And, again, Bob, that's, that's wrestling, wrestling helping, helping uh, <laughs> Hill and Nation. But, yeah, Trey Smith getting a lot of love for how he handled and consoled a, a young kid. I thought that was the best story of the week. And, like you said, it, it does help whenever it's such a – a tragedy to find some type of silver linings and stories of hope, but well, and th- and that's fine. I have another one, and it's unfortunately tied to again off the heels of a tragedy, but it happened locally, and that is I don't know if you guys saw where um, University of Tennessee lit up Neyland Stadium in blue the other night in yeah. tribute to the fallen uh, fallen sheriff that was tragically killed in Blount County. Um, I saw it was a really nice touch by the university. I mean, it was beautiful too. I mean, it was just seeing that big blue glow over Neil and um, that. Those were those were top of the week for me. Those two. Sam, what do you got? Uh, my good. It was we talked about it. Uh, you know, at the top of the hour there, but it was EA and the college football uh, video game. Man, I think it uh, set the internet on fire. It's going to set. The internet on fire in May when the whole trailer comes out and when the release is set to happen, but I can't wait. VOLS letters are in the uh, are in the new. Well, in I the saw new everybody game. getting excited about that. You think they're going to do a game in 2024, Sam, and not have the accurate, uh, you know, the accurate stadium? Maybe there. they started doing it so long ago that like were, they, were you before worried we put that them up? the balls letters weren't going to make it? Maybe. All the nerds on Twitter, are like, oh my god, the letters! They got the letters. What did you think they were going to have? It's going to look good, man. It is. It's going to look good. They're going to take it seriously. Maybe, maybe they started building Neyland Stadium before we put those back up there, and they're like, oh, screw it. I don't want to go back in because we know EA's lazy. I would imagine it's not that big of an ass to go in and add a couple letters. Hopefully. If, if they're going to make this game, they're, they're going to do it right. They're going to do it like, oh, my God, the letters. They got the Jumbotron. <laughs> oh, my God, they're smoky. Oh, they look at the power tee. They got the checkerboards right in the end zone. Oh, my God. My college football game. <laughs> also, shout out to Caitlin Clark. She set a record. She's probably the best of the week. Best of the last couple of years when it comes to college basketball. What about your worst of the week, Bob? Oh, my God. I think the worst of the week is 
And I think it's tied to, um, again, Super Bowl. But I want to be, and he's a fabulous player, I want to be done hearing about Travis Kelsey for a little bit. Okay? Just, um, it feels like the guy is absolutely under a microscope now. I mean, it's it's unbelievable, you know. They win the Super Bowl title. There's a lot of, you know, stuff bouncing around about his confrontation on the sidelines with Andy Reid they're still talking about that Andy Reid's like I didn't think it was a big deal um it should be between those two but it's you know obviously on camera he he was drunk at the Chiefs victory celebration and of course some really tragic stuff happened after that but uh, you know Tom Brady was drunk at the Bucks Super Bowl celebration a couple years ago and I don't feel he got nearly the heat that Kelsey got all it speaks to me on is we got to get Travis Kelsey out of the spotlight for a little bit. I'm just, I'm exhausted hearing about anything tied to Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift, all of that. I'm just, just done with it for a while. So that's, that's how the celebrity cycle works. We love you. And then we're like, okay, we're tired of you. You got to go away for a little bit. Yeah. I'm now, telling you, Glenn pal, be careful. <laughs> it's going to be you next, buddy. You keep popping up in these damn movies. Although I got to say, I saw Jeff Goldblum at the actual Super Bowl. And they showed him on the Jumbotron, and he got up and did, like, a heart sign. Like, he was like, oh, I love you guys. Thanks. And everyone cheered him. And, you know, I said there was too much of him in the Super Bowl commercials, but he looked happy to be recognized at the Super Bowl. So, you know, they, they, they did, like, a juxtaposition of, like, they were showing Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio, and he was, like, on his phone and rubbing his nose. I don't know why he was rubbing his nose. I don't know what they were doing up in that press box. I'm not making any allegations. But he never looks up from his phone and rubbing his nose, and they went to Jeff Goldblum. Who looks up is like, oh, oh my God, it's me on the Jumbotron. Hey, guys, heart. Love you guys. Oh, that's cool. My worst of the weekend, or worst of the week, excuse me, uh, NBA drama. I don't think they should have arrested Isaiah Stewart, Beef Stew, for punching a player in the locker, in, in the hallway. They're players. Settle that without actually getting arrested. I think you should have different rules in sports, as long as you don't take a skate and stab somebody with it. He said it was a soft punch, too. So he said it was soft? Uh, whoever or got he, hit, I, can't remember who, I don't know who got hit, but he and said it was soft Why are you calling the police punch. then? <laughs> and then also, our, our boy Grant Williams is, is in it as well. Him and the Mavericks taking shots at each other. He was kind of doing veiled shots where it was like, hey, yeah, it's nice to play on a team where everybody gets to touch the ball. Feels good to get to shoot. And then people from the Mavericks fired back, and uh, according to ESPN's uh, Tim McMahon, I would say one of the ways that Grant Williams rubbed people the wrong way, the yap, yap, yapping, <laughs> obviously that's kind of part of it with him, which is charmingly obnoxious if he's productive and it's grating when he's not. But he didn't report in good shape, and Grant Williams not in good shape is not a good defender. So they're basically like, yeah, Grant Williams was fat and talked too much. Mm. <laughs> he got fired for being fat and yappy. You can't be fat and yappy. you got to be one of the two. Or you can't be bad, fat, and yappy. Maybe he could be fat and yappy if he can still play. But he wasn't playing good enough to be fat and yappy. Sam, you got a worst of the week? Uh, it was the uh, NFL Super Bowl mic'd up for the Niners. Oh, um, yeah. yeah that's George Kittle. There was, a, there was a clip of him and George Karloftis <laughs> blocking each other. And then the fumble happens. He goes, oh, hey, George. And then George Karloftis just jives on the ball. Yeah. Yeah. I heard that it just too. it just encapsulated perfectly how unprepared the Niners were compared to the Chiefs. I, I saw that, but also I thought that might have been piling on because my man George Kittle, who I do like, and he was my favorite player a couple years ago in terms of non-tights, he did blow that guy like five yards off the ball. Sure, but he got the ball. 
Well, I know, but he doesn't have eyes in the back of his head, Sam. He's blocking. He's finishing the block. You're not supposed to turn around and look. Like, you keep blocking. You keep blocking. And the ball just happened to fall out right behind him. Now, it's a bad look. It's bad luck for him, especially with the Hey George moment in there. But, like, <laughs> he blew the guy five yards off the ball. He was blocking. It's not his fault Christian McCaffrey can't hold on to the damn ball. Way off my board. Way off my boy Kittle. I love George. I love George. Hey, hey last Super Bowl thing, too. You were talking about with Grant Williams being fat and yappy, but – you know who's not fat? Uh, I hadn't seen him in a while. Post Malone, he was uh, dude's thinned out. He still looks like he smells though. <laughs> he still looks like he smells. He's a talented dude. Have yes. a great weekend down in Savannah, Thank Bob. You. Sam, Thank you have a great weekend as well. Listeners, have an even better weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday. The GI Jake Show coming up at the after us. Stay locked in on Fan Run Radio.